Psalm 137 in your Bibles this morning. Well, today, uh, this year is the year in which the day of July 4th falls on a Sunday, giving us a special opportunity to experience our patriotism in God's house and thank God for America and to be uh, serious about praying for our country. What is patriotism? You have no doubt already seen some uh, fireworks displays. You have seen uh, advertisement after advertisement uh, with regards to the 4th of July and barbecues and picnics and and uh, celebrations. But what what do you mean when you say, I love America? I am a patriotic American. What does that mean? What do you love about America? Do you love the cities? Do you love the country? The mountains? The plains? The government? The monuments? The Republican Party? The Democrat Party? The commercialism? The military? The banking? Wall Street? Madison Avenue? Hollywood? I mean, what is it that you love when you say, I love America? I am a patriotic American. What does it mean to love America? Just a a couple of weeks ago, actually between June 21st and June 24th, Real Clear Opinion Research surveyed uh, 1,762 registered voters And they asked them questions about patriotism. And uh, the survey revealed that the people in America, the registered voters in America that were polled, that 85% of them said, I am very patriotic or I am somewhat patriotic. 85%, that's that's pretty high. Uh, That's that's higher than I would have expected if I was to guess how many, in, in particularly in, in light of uh, the last year or two, it was interesting to, to break, of course they broke it down as, as statistical data always is, they broke it down to every imaginable category of people uh, and to see what percentage of this category of people uh, said they were patriotic or somewhat patriotic or not patriotic at all. Generation, the, the baby boomer silent generation polled at 96%. of the baby boomers said, I am very patriotic or I am somewhat patriotic. Now, it came down to the Generation Xers and it dropped a little bit to 86%. 86% of Generation X said they were very patriotic or somewhat patriotic. The Generation Z and the Millennials, they came down to 72%, said they were very patriotic or somewhat patriotic. But but what did it... they mean by that, I am patriotic. What, what criteria were they judging their patriotism by? What does it mean to them to be patriotic Americans? That, I think, is the bigger question. What are we patriotic about? What do we love when we say, I love 
America. I heard something probably 40 years ago now, something expressed about principles that I had never forgotten. The individual that was speaking in a seminar made the comment that, that we often give our allegiance, our love, our, our um, support to an organization because of what it stands for. And as the years go by, sometimes that organization changes and it no longer stands for the things that we gave them our support for. And yet many people continue to support the organization even though the organization is not what drew our devotion to that organization. And the person encouraged, and he was speaking in a church setting, he was speaking about Christian colleges and universities, he was speaking about Christian organizations. He said, made the comment, he said, it's important to give your, your patriotism, he didn't use the word patriotism, your patriotism to the principles that drew your affection towards that entity. And if that organization no longer stands for those principles but shifts away from them, you should maintain your loyalty to the principles that drew you to that organization and make sure you always are patriotic, He wasn't talking in a political sense, but patriotic to the principles that made that organization great. I never forgot that because I've seen over the years things change in churches, in um, uh, colleges, in Christian organizations, and in our country. And so to be patriotic... What does that mean to be patriotic? And I want to encourage you that we should always be loyal and patriotic to principles of truth. And when the country no longer upholds those principles of truth, our patriotism should still go to those principles of truth. And it could be that A country could go so far from those principles of truth so widely that those who hold to those principles of truth end up becoming the enemy that are persecuted by the very country who at one time embraced the principles that those current people still embrace. And that's a reality that we live in our country, certainly um, in light of the song that we just heard Hannah sing. Our country is sick. Our country needs to be healed. And if God's people are humble enough to get on their knees as repentant sinners, humble, and seek God, that that God will hear our prayers. And it just may be that God would heal our land and send revival. If Christians across America, on bended knee, would plead with God, To revive our land. Give us revival again before you plunge the world into darkness 
and destroy this world and form a new heavens and a new earth as you promised us you'd do at some point in the future. So I want to encourage you this morning to be loyal and patriotic to principles of truth that are unchanging. I see a little bit of that in Israel. Israel uh, was a, a, a people, a land, a country, a nation that honored Jehovah God. God formed that nation. Its foundation was the very Word of God, the Old Testament Scriptures. And they were loyal to that God, to Jehovah God, the only true and living God. And they worshipped Him, they served Him, and they enjoyed the blessings of God. And they prospered under the blessings of God. And they knew amazing blessings from God. But as humanity often does, they began to change. They even changed so much that they began to worship man-made gods, and they actually sacrificed their children to those man-made gods by throwing their little babies into the red-hot molten hands of those idols as they had been heated up by the furnace in their belly, and they would throw their children into the fire in dedication to their God. And, and, and Israel did that. They, they, they got to the point where they no longer followed the principles that made them the great land of Israel that they were. It got so bad that those who were still patriotic to the original Israel were viewed as being unpatriotic. You can read about that in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, knew the heritage of Israel. He knew the greatness of Israel. And he hadn't changed. But everyone around him changed. And so when he preached... What had always been preached and what had at one time been believed by all the people, they tried to kill him. They threw him in a pit. They said he is unpatriotic. They said he's no longer for Israel. And they persecuted him because he refused to change with the country around him. The text that we read just a moment ago, Psalm 137, is about what happened after Jeremiah, uh, and, and even during Jeremiah's life, the Babylonian armies came in under Nebuchadnezzar, and they destroyed Israel and tore down Jerusalem and murdered many, 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 most of the Israelite people. And those that, that they allowed to live, they carried most of them away back to Babylon as slaves to be captives and slaves in Babylon. And it was there that the Psalm 137 was birthed from because the Babylonian people had heard the Jewish people are singing people. They're people of song. And, and so we want to hear some of their songs. And they would say to their new slaves, Sing us the songs of Zion. Play us on your harp and sing the songs of Zion. And they said, how can we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? But then they said, if we forget not Jerusalem, may our right hand forget her cunning. The right hand was the hand for most people. It's the hand of their strength. It's the hand that they would write with. If they play a musical instrument, it'll be key in their musical instrument. If they're a warrior, it'll be key in, their, in the hand that they wield their instruments in. And they said, if we don't remember Jerusalem, may we lose all of our abilities. May we lose all of our capabilities. 
May we no longer be known as a people of great ability in any of our endeavors. If we forget not Jerusalem. They still had a patriotism deep in their hearts that they would not forget their history. And they would not forget their country and their capital city of Jerusalem. And I see some parallels between Israel and America in that we, like Israel, as a nation, no longer stand upon the things that most Americans seem to have at one time believed. Our nation has changed, as Israel had changed from earlier days. And our nation today worships other gods, as Israel had begun to worship other gods. And Israel began to experience the judgment of God that, that culminated in that horrific destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and the enslavement of the Jewish people. And America is undergoing judgments from God. And we don't know what the end of all of that is going to be in our lifetime. I see some parallels. Many times before Nebuchadnezzar, Israel had, had sinned and began to experience the judgments of God. But, but when they humbled themselves and prayed and sought God, He delivered them from the judgment and restored them to His blessing. And that happened over and over and over again. The book of Judges records 400 years of that happening over and over and over again. And it's possible that if, if God's people, which are called by God's name in America, would turn from their sins and humble themselves and pray and seek God's face, that, that God could heal our land. And God could send revival. And once again, we could have the blessings of God in our country. That's possible that God has promised that if we would, He would, and we cling to that promise. There are parallels here between Israel and America in the way God deals with any country. God later did bring a repentant Israel back after 70 years of slavery to Babylon. God did bring a remnant back and once again, they began, and, and, and they never again worshipped man-made gods. They, they finally got that lesson through their heads. But they came back, and they rebuilt Jerusalem, and they had the blessings in favor of God again. That has happened in Israel. It has happened in, in America. We've had seasons of revival that have changed the character of America at different times in our history when when God's people prayed and God sent revival. And so what I want to encourage us on this 4th of July, when we say I am a patriotic America and I love America, I want you to understand what it is about America that's worthy of our love and that's worthy of our patriotism. And it's, it's got to be a part of our memory bank. We've got to remember the America that God made great again the first time that God made America great. There are four principles that I find that are profound principles that were commonplace in America of old 
that do not exist in America today to the same extent. But they're the principles worthy of our love and our patriotism. And I want you to see these four principles. I want you to see them in the Word of God so that you'll know that we're talking about biblical principles. And then I want you to hear from Americans back in our history and hear how that they described an America of yesterday in which these principles were real and powerful in the American experience. Principles that are often denied today by those who've rewritten our history, denied that they ever existed in America. But they did when we read history. And so, uh, I, I, I got you to turn back to, to Psalm 137, so I wanted to remind you that it's in verse 5 and 6 that the, psalm, the psalmist said, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. That's interesting. If you try to talk with your tongue attached to the top of your mouth, put your tongue on the top of your mouth. He said, "If if I if I if I do not remember thee, may I have nothing to say? May I not be able to say anything if I don't have something good to say about the memory of the greatness of Jerusalem." May that uh, be true of us as well. I want to get you to turn a little bit earlier in Psalms. Turn back earlier to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. While you turn there, I want you to see the first principle. Four principles. Principle number one is God's existence was believed. That Jehovah God existed as the one and only God was believed in America at one time. It's a biblical principle. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. You see this one written out on your little worksheet this morning. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Israel as a nation knew that Jehovah God was the one true God. And they worshipped Him with all of their heart. I ask you to turn back to Psalm 90. Look in Psalm 90, verse number 1 and 2. The Bible says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. You'll notice the word Lord at the beginning of verse number 1 is all capitalized. That's because the translators of our Bible wanted to alert you that the Hebrew word is the word Jehovah. And they alerted you of that in the translation by capitalizing all the letters. If, it's, if they translated it God, it would be capital G, capital O, capital D. If they translated it Lord, it would be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So in this text, the Bible says Jehovah God, Jehovah God, and the end of verse number two, thou art God. And the word God at the end of verse 2 is the word Elohim that is found in Genesis 1.1. It's the creator God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jehovah God, thou art the creator God who created the heavens and the earth. The Bible teaches the principle that Jehovah God exists as the one and the only God that has ever existed or ever will exist. The question is, did America ever believe that as a nation? I was, um, 
I ran across a story of a court case, a judicial case in, uh, in New York in August of 1831. 1831, so what, we're about 50 years past the, the uh, July 4th, 1776. And uh, in 1831, a witness was called to testify in a courtroom in New York. And as he gave testimony, he acknowledged that he did not believe in God. And he said, I do not believe in the immortality of the soul. I not only don't believe God exists, I don't believe we're going to exist beyond the grave. The judge refused to allow his testimony, on whatever the court case was about, the judge refused to allow his testimony to stand and to be considered by the jury. The New York Spectator newspaper dated August 23, 1831, carried the following story, and I quote from the New York Spectator. The Court of Common Pleas of Chester County, New York, a few days since, rejected a witness who declared his disbelief in the existence of God. The presiding judge remarked that he had not before been aware that there was a man living who did not believe in the existence of God. That this belief constituted the sanction of all testimony in a court of justice. And that he knew of no case in a Christian country where a witness had been permitted to testify without such belief. I mean, that was 1831 in New York. You don't believe in God, you, you can't testify in a court of law. Because if you don't believe in God, we have no reason to believe that you have the ability to tell the truth in anything. And so... He was not admitted, uh, uh, permitted to give testimony in a, in a courtroom because, as the judge said, in this Christian country called America, I have never known anybody who doesn't believe in the existence of God. I want to read you some quotes from some of our uh, Americans of the past this morning, and all of these I have uh, put in uh, the handout that is being uploaded to our website. So if you go to our website and go to the, this morning's sermon, uh, there's always a link to download the handout that was given out in the service. The difference uh, in this week is that the handout you will download will be seven pages long. Instead of one half sheet, it'll be seven uh, half sheets, and it'll be filled with all the quotes that I read if you want the quotes. And they have the sources supplied as well. And... Uh, so I just uh, make you aware of that. I want to read a quote from Henry Wilson. Henry Wilson was from the late 1800s. He was a U.S. vice president, U.S. Uh, uh, senator. Uh, Henry Wilson said, quote, Men who see not God in our history have surely lost sight of the fact that from the landing of the Mayflower to this hour, the great men whose names are in the... So uh, in, oh, I can't even get that out of my tongue indissolubly associated, the great men whose names are indissolubly associated with the colonization, rise, and progress of the republic have borne testimony to the vital truth of Christianity. This U.S. Vice President and Senator in the late 1800s acknowledged that from the Mayflower to that present day, America has been a republic that has been based upon the vital truths of Christianity. Thomas Jefferson known as the man who penned the words of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. And our third president said, and I quote, 
And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and his justice cannot sleep forever. These people from the political realm of early in our history's existence acknowledge that everyone believed that God existed. That the, the God of Christianity, the God of the Bible, that Jehovah God is, is, He exists, He is, and He's the only God that does exist. That was the belief, that was the testimony of our people. The principle that God exists is a foundational principle of the greatness of America. That America was established with a strong conviction that Jehovah God is God. And He's the God that brought America into existence. That's a principle worth being patriotic for and loving our country for. Here's a second principle. The second principle is that God's Word was elevated. The Bible you hold in your laps this morning has been a Bible that has been elevated throughout the, throughout the history of America, more so in our past than in our present. You can uh, just turn ahead a little bit in Psalms to Psalm 138. Let's see, Psalm 138 is actually printed on your little worksheet there. Psalm 138 says, I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. This is a principle of the word of God, that the word of God is magnified above the very name of God. You can't get any more important than that. The word of God, elevated in importance, elevated in what it contains and what it is is a principle of the Word of God. In Psalm 119, and verse number 197, 119 and 197, let's see. Psalm 119 doesn't have 197 verses. I typed that wrong. Oh, let's see, where is that one in this psalm? The Bible says, Oh, how I love thy law, it is my meditation all the days. Well, I've lost that. Thank you. Verse 90 what? Yes, 97. Yeah, take off the one. Psalm 119.97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. A principle of the Word of God is that the Bible is something we love so much we think about it every day and all the day. That the Word of God saturates our thoughts, saturates our beliefs, saturates our understanding of truth and right and wrong. This is a principle of the Word of God. The question is, was there a time in our nation's history when the nation as a whole believed that the Bible is the Word of God and is authoritative in all of our life and practice as Americans? Well, let's listen to Noah Webster. Noah Webster was known as the statesman, the uh, 
schoolmaster of the nation. He lived in the early uh, 1800s, and uh, the books that he wrote, he wrote the Webster's Dictionary, obviously. He, the books that he wrote, the things that he, that he did educationally in America uh, are profound. Uh, Noah Webster, the schoolmaster of education in America, said, education is useless without the Bible. The Bible was America's basic textbook in all fields. The man in our history who is best known as being the schoolmaster, the public educator of our nation, said that the Bible is America's textbook in our schools in all fields. History, literature, mathematics, science. The Bible is our textbook. Without the Bible, education is useless. He also said this, God's Word contained in the Bible has furnished all necessary rules to to direct our conduct. The Bible has furnished all necessary rules to direct our conduct. That was the man known as the educator of America back in our history. That's a pretty profound statement that the morality of the Bible, the behavior content described in the Bible is that which we need in our schools to direct our behavior. That was America of our heritage. Daniel Webster, who also lived in the 1800s, he was a U.S. congressman and senator, he's also the Secretary of State, Daniel Webster said, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we and our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. That was in the 1800s by Daniel Webster, one of our politicians in our government system, who recognized that the principles taught in the Bible has been the key to God's blessing and success upon our country. Daniel Webster was speaking at a, uh, delivering a speech at the Bunker Hill Monument in Charleston, Massachusetts in 1843. And in that speech, he described the founding fathers of America. And here's how he described the founding fathers of America. He said, quote, the Bible came with them. We're talking about the principle, did America elevate the word of God in our heritage? Did America become great because it elevated the word of God in our heritage? Does patriotism and I love America mean I love the Bible above every other book? Well, it does for those who love the America of our heritage. And so Daniel Webster, describing our founding fathers who established America, he said the Bible came with them, and it is not to be doubted that to the free and universal reading of the Bible in that age, Men were much indebted for right views of civil liberty. Did you hear what Daniel Webster connected? He connected our belief in the Word of God to our right view of liberty. In other words, he said you cannot separate liberty 
from the Word of God. He said the Bible is a book of faith. It's a book of doctrine. It's a book of morals. It's a book of religion. It's a book of special revelation from God. But it is also a book which teaches man his own individual responsibility, his own dignity, and his equality with his fellow man. So, was the Bible elevated in the heritage of our country? Oh, yes. All our politicians, our educators talked about the Bible as the foundation of our beliefs, our behavior, our education system. The Bible and the teachings contained in the Bible were key to our understanding of liberty and freedom. They were key to the establishing of our country. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 33, verse 22, I put the reference down on the little worksheet there. Isaiah 33, 22, our founding fathers, when they were wrestling with the type of government to establish in America, they, they had read Isaiah 33:22 that talks about God, about Jehovah God. The Bible says, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. And they took note that in a spiritual sense, God was our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. From that verse of Scripture, they determined to establish a government with three branches. God is our judge, so we'll establish a branch of our government that will be judiciary. God is our lawgiver. We'll establish a branch of our government that will be legislative. We'll create our laws. And God is our king. We will establish a branch of our government which will be the executive. And so they established the breakdown of our government based on their study of the Word of God and the recognition of God's government that He holds. And they sought to duplicate that in the American governmental system. The Bible was elevated in America. The Bible was the book in America. It was elevated above all other books. And what it contained taught us how to live in America and how to practice our beliefs. So, God's existence was believed in America. That's worth being patriotic over the heritage of our great America. The Bible was elevated in America. That's worthy of our love for the heritage of our country. Here's a third principle that grows out of those first two principles, and that is that God's standard of righteousness was endorsed. God's standard of righteousness was endorsed. God's holiness. God's morality, what is moral and what is immoral, was endorsed by America in our early history. You have in your little worksheet there the reference from 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, where the Bible says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. That comes from Leviticus. That is a, a, uh, a quote from Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7 into our New Testament. Both Old and New Testament declared, I am holy, so you be holy. You mirror my morality. When you find in the Bible what I say is moral then you accept that that's what moral means. And you live that way. Old and New Testament declared that. 
the Bible teaches us. I love the passage in Second in, in uh, Titus chapter two, where the Bible says that the grace of God that that brought us salvation then taught us how to live, and He describes the godliness and the morality and the holiness of God's people. And the grace of God that taught us how to get saved then teaches us how to live holy lives. Now that's taught in the Bible. We accept that as Christian people. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the truth of the Word of God. But the question is, was there a day in our nation when God's standard of righteousness was endorsed by our country? Let me read you. A statement from James Madison. James Madison was our fourth president of the United States. He was the author of the Bill of Rights. And he has been called the chief architect of our Constitution. And James Madison said, quote, We have staked the whole future of America's civilization not upon the power of government. Far from it. We have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. The guy that wrote the Bill of Rights, the chief architect of our Constitution, said government will not give us freedom. Our future of America is not based on the success of our government. It's based on our citizenry. That each one of us would so live our lives according to the commandments and principles of the Ten Commandments, that those commandments that articulate the morality of God will be inculcated into the lifestyles of every citizen in America. Yes, there was a day in which the morality of God, God's standard of righteousness, was endorsed by our country. Benjamin Franklin in the 1700s, the signer, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, Benjamin Franklin said, and I quote, Whoever shall introduce into public affairs the, primi- the principles of primitive Christianity will change the face of the world. If you inculcate the basic principles of primitive Christianity into the, any institution, you can change the world. President Woodrow Wilson, our 28th president, in 1913 said, A nation which does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today nor what it is trying to do. We are trying to do a futile thing if we do not know where we came from or what we have been about. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of the Holy Scripture. The revelations, the elements of righteousness derived from the revelations of the Holy Scripture. The morality, what is right and wrong, righteousness, as taught in the Word of God. He said, we are a Christian nation. We were born to exemplify a devotion to that holiness, to that righteousness that is exemplified in the Holy Scriptures. Woodrow Wilson also said on another occasion, he said, here is the nation God has builded by our hands. Here is the nation. America is the nation God built. He used our hands to do it, but God built it. It's a Christian nation. To go back to the 1800s, Noah Webster, our great uh, educator of America's early history, 
Noah Webster said in 1832, the moral principles and precepts contained in the scriptures, the moral principles, the moral principles, what God says is moral, the moral principles and precepts contained in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all of our civil constitutions and laws. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. Now that's quite a statement from our leading educator in America's heritage. All the miseries and evils that we experience from vice and crime and ambition and injustice and oppression and slavery and war all come from Americans despising or neglecting the Word of God. The Word of God. The morality of the Word of God. The moral principles of the Word of God was the foundation of our country. It was endorsed by our nation. Now there's one last, one last principle. It's the most important of them all. The, our country, there was a time in our country, in America, where America believed that God existed. There was a time in America where Americans, excuse me, my mind went blank. The, the Word of God is elevated in our country. And there was a day in America where the moral principles in that elevated Bible were held to be the foundation of behavior that was acceptable and legal in America. And that leads us to the most important principle. And the most important principle is this. God's salvation through Jesus Christ alone was recognized in our country. God's salvation through Jesus Christ alone was recognized in our country. There's a verse that's on your little handout from Acts chapter, number, chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name. And by the way, the context, if you read the couple of verses before it, the context is Jesus Christ. There is, neither is there salvation in any other than Jesus Christ, for there's none other name but the name of Jesus Christ under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We know the Bible teaches that clearly. There are, there are no other gods that exist, and there's only one way to heaven, and that one way is through Jesus Christ, who came and shed his precious blood on Calvary in our place as our substitute to pay the debt that we owe for the sins of our life. And the only possibility of salvation is through a new birth experience, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's tree. We know the Bible teaches that. We know that we believe that, and we preach that, we teach that, that's... But did our country ever believe that as a nation? Did, did America in her early heritage acknowledge that? Did they recognize that? Let me read a couple of statements. One from Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry lived in the 1700s. He was uh, an American revolutionary leader and political figure in the uh, early days back into the 1700s before our nation was formed, Patrick Henry said, 
it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians, not on religions but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom to worship here. He said, our nation was formed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have not forced other people. We believe that salvation is a personal relationship with God that no man can dictate. We can't make you worship God, and we can't make you worship God in any particular way. Because our, our country was founded on the principles of the Word of God, acknowledging the gospel of Jesus Christ as the sole means of salvation. We have invited people of other religions to come. And we have not dictated to them that they have to believe in our God, because you can't dictate that to people. That comes from personal being drawn to Christ under the power of the Spirit of God and the preaching of the gospel of Christ. And so people of other lands, other nations, other religions have been afforded asylum here. They've been allowed to worship here according as they see fit. And they've allowed to become prosperous here because of our very foundational beliefs on the essence of what it means to be born again by the shed blood of Jesus Christ as an individual, personal relationship to Jesus Christ because of that. And then a quote from John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States. He was addressing the American Bible Society on February 27th, 1844, and he said, The Bible carries with it the history of, of the creation, the fall and redemption of man, and discloses to him in the infant born at Bethlehem, the legislator and savior of the world. Our sixth president acknowledging that the Bible and its teaching of Jesus Christ is the savior for anyone from anywhere in the world. The Bible that teaches us of the creation of mankind, the fall of mankind, and the redemption of mankind through Jesus Christ. That Bible has given to us the truths of how to be saved. Great quotes. I would say, yes, there was a day when it was recognized broadly that salvation was only available through Jesus Christ. These are great principles. The principles that, that made America the great country it became under the blessings of God. Principles. And, a, uh, and, and you get back and you actually read the quotes of our founding fathers and the quotes of our politicians and the quotes of the people who formulated our country. And it defies what is often taught by the history revisionists who want to paint America as a secular nation from its start. America has been a great country. America has been an exceptional country. America has been a source of good for the world. America has been a great land of opportunity for those who live here and from the resources of those who live here to be a blessing to people all around the world. America is a great exemplary country because we were founded upon the recognition that God exists, 
that the Bible is elevated. That the morality that he teaches is how we ought to live. And that salvation is only available through Jesus Christ. When I say I'm a patriotic American, that's what I'm patriotic about. I'm patriotic of my memory of the greatness of the America of history that was blessed of God and became the great nation that it has been. And our greatness tomorrow will depend upon revival where the Spirit of God heals our land and that those principles again become real and powerful to the people of America. Let me also read that there's a guy in the, from the 1800s that came to America from France. His name is Alexis de Tocqueville. He lived in the 1800s and he came with a traveling companion to America to observe America. He had heard uh, all the rumors and the stories of the greatness of America and he came to America to be able to see with his own eyes and he ended up going back home and he wrote a two-volume set called Democracy in America, published in 1835 and 1840. It has been called the most, I quote, the most comprehensive and penetrating analysis of the relationship between character and society in America that has ever been written. It was not written by a Christian. It was not written by a man who believed what he saw. It was written by an honest historian who observed and recorded, why is America great? What is it about America that's different? And let me read a couple of things that he said. He said, upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new state of things. Did you hear what he said? He said, the first thing that struck me when I began to travel across America and observe life in America, the first thing that struck me was that the religious aspect of the country was the foundation. The political consequences grew out of the religious reality that I observed. It was not the other way around. He said, in France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found they were intimately united and that they reigned in common over the same country. Liberty and the worship of Jesus Christ, hand in hand. He said, a religion in America must be regarded as the foremost of the political institutions of that country. Now, we wouldn't call the worship of Jesus Christ a religion or Christianity a political institution, but that's what he called it. He said, religion in America must be regarded as the most political of, uh, institution of the country, for if it does not impart a taste for freedom, it facilitates the use of it. Indeed, it is in the same point of view that the inhabitants of the United States look themselves look upon religious belief. I do not know whether all Americans have a sincere faith in their religion, for who can search the human heart? But I am certain that they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of republican institutions. This opinion is not peculiar to a class of citizens or a party, but it belongs to the whole nation, to every rank of society. Wow. Just an observer who observed America 
and the place that the worship of Jesus Christ held in America and the impact that had on the formation of our politics, he recognized that that rank and file of all the people worshiping God based on the Bible was the essence of our politics. He said the denominations that exist in the United States are innumerable. They all differ in respect to the worship which is due the Creator, but they all agree in respect to the duties which are due from man to man. Each denomination adores the deity in its own peculiar manner. But all denominations preach the same moral law in the name of God. Moreover, all the denominations of the United States are comprised within the great unity of Christianity. And Christian morality is everywhere the same. It, you know, America was never a Baptist country or a Presbyterian country. In our colonial days, we were. We were you were an Anglican uh, colony, or you, you were the, the colonies were dominated by a particular religion because there was no uh, freedom of religion in America at that time. But when when the when the Baptists in, in New England and in Virginia won that battle against Puritan uh, government structure and Anglican government structure, and we finally gained freedom of worship and freedom of religion, our nation thrived and prospered on the reality that you could go to church where you please and you can believe and worship as you please. But as an outside observer from France, he said the one thing that was was true was that the impact of Bible teaching, the morality that stems from the Word of God is universal in America. He recognized that and its power. He said in the United States, the sovereign authority is religious. There is no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. And there can be no greater proof of its utility and of its conformity to human nature than that its influence is powerfully felt over the most enlightened and free nation of the earth. The power of the worship of Jesus Christ and the reading and teaching of the Word of God had a profound influence in our heritage. It is what it means to me to say, I love America. And it is the hope of our future. I could go on and read several other quotes from Alexis de Tocqueville that, uh, of his observations of why America was the great country. If you're interested, you can go to the website, get the handout from this morning, and it'll have all these quotes and their sources on, on that for you. We have some great principles to be proud of as a nation. We can wave the flag and we can sing the star-spangled banner and we can say I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America because we have a great heritage. We are a great country. We are an exemplary country because of our heritage based upon the existence of God, the elevation of the Word of God, based on the morality of the Bible, and based upon the Gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of mankind. Those are great principles. Have those principles impacted you as an American today? Do you believe there's only one God? His name is Jehovah. He exists as the only sole God of the, of the universe. Do you elevate the Word of God and read it and meditate on it? Do you gain strength from it? Does it shape the way you think? Does it shape how you believe? Does it shape the decisions you make in life? Do you elevate the Word of God like our 
founders did in America. Do you believe the moral principles of the Word of God? Do you believe that marriage is one man and one woman? Do you believe gender is male or female? That God decides at birth, at conception, no doctor assigns a gender. Gender was assigned by God at conception. Does the Word of God and the morality of the Word of God shape how you think, what you believe, decisions you make, how you live your life? And, most importantly, have you ever come to God and reasoned with God over the problem of your own sinful life and how God has made provision for your sins to be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ and that you can be granted a place at His table for all of eternity Have you come to grips with the principle that salvation is through Jesus Christ and Him alone on the cross of Calvary? These principles made America great. These principles made America great because of the number of Americans who live by these principles. And God's blessing on our nation through His blessing on His people. May God help us to be patriotic and love the principles that brought the blessings of God to America.